This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's first pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Wonderful words of life. And do, Lord, speak those words to us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 10. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Okay, now, just a little bit of background here. In the last study, we saw that what led up to this calling, this is a calling of the 12 apostles, and we saw that what drove this calling was the last three verses in the previous chapter, in chapter nine, verses 36 to 38. That's very important to put in the context here where it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So it was something that he saw. The Lord saw something in these multitudes. For other people, they just looked at it and they said it was a crowd of people. But the Lord saw something more. He saw these people as wandering. He saw these people as drifting. He saw these people as vulnerable and as fainting because they had no idea how to get to God. The religious leaders at those times, they told them, well, we'll tell you how to get to God. You need to fulfill all these requirements in your life. You need to establish your own righteousness with God. Totally wrong, totally deceptive, totally dangerous, but this is what says in Romans 10:3 says, they being ignorant 
of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So he looks at the people and he sees they don't know that God's righteousness comes through believing what God has done. They think that their righteousness is all about what they must do rather than what has been done for them. In his mind's eye, as he's looking at these people, we can see him stunned as he's sort of taken back and he's moved to action. And the first action he does is he turns to his disciples and he says, there is a great harvest of souls among these multitudes. And then he says, not only is there a great harvest, there is a great lack of laborers to work this harvest. And then he tells them, there is a great need of prayer to God for God to send laborers into his field. This is his harvest. This is his field. This is the world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so he tells them that as this is burning inside of him, and he had great need for prayer. That's what he was doing all night. He spent all night in prayer, obviously. Prayer to God, for God to send laborers into his field. And the next thing he does in his move is now gives it the great call, this call to the apostles, this call from a heart that's broken. First of all, the call, when he calls his 12 apostles there, he calls them first to himself, he calls them to himself, and then he calls them to go from himself. First he calls them to, and then he calls them to go. And so the Old Testament had its prophets, same thing. The New Testament has its apostles. And he gave this invitation, and really to come to himself in the next chapter, where he says in Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And he goes on. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. He says that the way to know the Father is only through the Son revealing the Father to a person. And he says the way to know the Father through the Son is to learn of the Son. Learn of me. Those are the words he wanted them to carry across there. Learn of me. Learn about me. Learn what my desires are. Learn what breaks my heart. Learn what motivates me. Learn what I'm doing. This is all encompassed in the learn of me is a lifelong pursuit. It's really an eternal pursuit. It never stops. We never learn enough about the Lord Jesus. And after learning, then teach others about him. So first of all, on the part of the disciples, there has to be a willingness to learn. That means that they had to be willing to learn about him. There has to be this willingness to learn before a person can go out and proclaim about him. Some people might say, I can't preach the gospel. That's not my gift. It's not me. It's for somebody else. We can imagine the disciples, you know, they're sitting there as they would say, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher, I'm a fisherman, I'm a tax collector. Fishermen and tax collectors, they don't preach. They may yell at each other, but they don't preach. So in essence, they were saying, you got the wrong person. Just like Moses said that to God in Exodus 4.10, where Moses said unto the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech 
of a slow tongue. You know, Moses at that point was saying, I'm not sharp. I'm not quick on my feet. I don't know what to say. I don't have good words. I stumble. Maybe he even stuttered. I don't know. But the Lord said to him in verse 11 of Exodus 4, Who hath made man's mouth? And who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing and the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So the Lord is saying essentially to Moses, you stay with me and I will help you. And Moses, in essence, was saying the same thing the fishermen were saying, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I've been doing this for 40 years. That's all that I do. But God told Moses, just go. I'll help you. Same way the Lord could speak to those apostles. I know that you are fishers of fish, but he said in Mark 1.17, come ye after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. All you have to do is follow me. So the calling of the disciples to become apostles, when he does that, he now equips them. In verse one, it says he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. Now, literally the word power there, the Greek word power that's in that verse one is the same word as authority. He gave them authority. It's the same thing he said when he sends them later on in Matthew 28, 18, going to tell them then, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And at that point, in Matthew 28, 18, he says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given to him. This was a gift that he says he gave them power and he gave them authority. And just as it says in Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave gifts unto men, Ephesians 4, 8. He sends them out. He tells them in Mark 6, 7, he called on him the 12 and began to send them forth two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. Two by two, he sends them out. So when he sends them out two by two, in essence, he's saying, it's not good for you to go alone. It's not good for you to go alone. You need another person to be with you. And so he sends them out two by two. Now we have in verses two through four here, the names of the apostles. It starts with Peter. Names of the 12 are these, the first Peter, as Simon who is called Peter and, and Andrew and so forth. So what we see in these verses here, two through four, is we see two sets of brothers. There's the Simon and Andrew, their brothers. And then there's James and John, their brothers. That's explained to us. It's wonderful to see how God brought physical brothers together to have this new dimension of a brotherhood together. Now they're not just brothers by blood, but now they're brothers by a loyalty and a devotion to the Lord Jesus. Now they're brothers in their life work of serving the Lord Jesus. It's interesting, starts off, it talks about two couplets of brothers there. And then as we look out over the list here, we can see certain notable people. I mean, verse three is, identifies Matthew, the publican, the tax collector. He's the author. He's the writer of the book. We only recognize him. And then we see another notable person in, in verse 4, notable for the wrong reason, Judas Iscariot. He's the betrayer. Sad to see that within his trusted confidential group, his 12, that there's one who's going to take all the confidential information and use it to destroy him, a traitor, betrayer. That's sad. And then we see Thomas in verse three. We recognize Thomas. He's the one who questions whether the Lord rose from the dead. He's called Doubting Thomas. I never liked that term because my name's Thomas. What can I do? 
Then we see some other names of people here. We don't know anything about them. You know, we see, for example, in verse 3, someone called Taddeus. We see in in verse 4, someone called Simon the Canaanite. That doesn't mean he was from Canaan of Galilee. We see them. We don't know anything about them. And it's interesting that when we look at this list here, that we see that some of the Lord's disciples did not become famous, quote unquote. I mean, they're not somebody that we recognize. They're not somebody who's like known to man. But it's interesting that even though they're not known to man, still they labor on for the Lord. And what these these unrecognized, not famous uh, apostles really reveal to us is that they represent this group that's faithful, that's loyal, they're loyal workers in the Lord's service. The spotlight's not on them, not like it's on Peter and John, but these are not known to man, but they're known to God. And even though man's spotlight is not on them, God's spotlight is on them. Even though they're not famous in man's eyes, they're famous in God's eyes. This is where this verse comes into play here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. They might be feeling like I'm wasting my time. My labor is is in vain in the Lord. No one even knows I'm here. No one even knows what I'm doing. But nevertheless, it says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. As a matter of fact, there's like this divine seal that's being spoken of here. And the seal is like has a mark on it. The mark says, the Lord knows them that are his. You can imagine the Lord thinking of these unknown ones, these ones who are not famous, not prominent, when he says things like John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. I know them. You may not know them. I know them and I'm known of mine. And John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. To man, they're unknown, but to God, they're very well known. It speaks about in, in 2 Corinthians 6, it talks about these dichotomies. It's speaking about, uh, about the Lord's workers as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed. These are the ministers of God, they're called in 2 Corinthians 6, 4. So here's this list, the known, the unknown. They're all sent out. They're all important to the Lord. It says in verse five, almost like to emphasize, these 12 Jesus sent forth. It's almost to say, these 12, made up the known, made up the prominent, the famous, and the unknown, the Lord Jesus sent out. Now he sends them out in verse five, and the language is pretty strong, where it says, these 12 Jesus sent forth, he commanded them, saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. This is a command from the Lord. Don't go into the way that leads to the Gentiles and don't go into any city of the Samaritans. He says they're just not to go there with the way of the Gentiles, there's road. Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles lived there. Galilee was a mix of Jewish people and Gentile people. So that meant that there were roads went to the regions of the Gentiles and there were regions and there were roads that went to the Samaritan cities. And this is what we find when the one time when the Lord Jesus was returning back from Jerusalem back up to Galilee, 
And he had to go through this area of the Samaritans, it says in John 4, 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. So he has to go through Samaria. He's on a road back to Galilee. He doesn't go into the city, but he's on the outskirts of the city there, and as he's on the outskirts there, he stops at a well, and he meets a, a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans were considered half Jews and half Arabs, and they built their own temple north of Jerusalem. They were really set there in that place by the Assyrians. Uh, after they had conquered Israel, then they set these people there. And uh, they were not considered by the Jews to be Jewish. And so we see in verse five, the Lord's commanding his disciples, don't go on any road that, that goes into a, a Gentile city and don't enter into a Samaritan city. Why? That's a question for us. Why didn't the Lord want his messengers to carry the good news of sins forgiven, a home in heaven? Why? Not to the Gentiles. Clearly, it's not because the Lord didn't love the Gentiles. He said in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world is referring to the world of Gentiles. So he loves them. 1 John 2, 2, he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the Lord Jesus didn't just die for the sins of Israel. He died as a payment for the sins of the world, the world of Jews and Gentiles. And clearly, the Lord had in view that after his resurrection, he's going to be sending them, his disciples, to the Gentiles, when he says in Mark 16, 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them that he was risen. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we find the disciples there waiting. What should we do? What are our orders from heaven? In the beginning of the book of Acts, when he appears to them and he says to them, well, is this the time now that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And he responds to them, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Lord is telling them here in Matthew 10 that they should temporarily limit their outreach to just the Jewish people. He was telling me that there's an important sequence in the Bible, and that sequence is Romans 2.10. It's the sequence of to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Number one to the Jew, number two to the Greek. So God operates with organization and with structure. And that's what we see in the creation. We see organization and structure. And so God's view of the world is that they have to be reached through an organization and structure that he designed to reach the world, that was Israel. That's why he called Israel a kingdom of priests in a very important passage in Exodus 19.4, which really lays out the purpose for Israel with regard to the earth, the world. Exodus 19.4 says, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So 
Israel was a people that was going to be, at one point in their history, when they were in Egypt, Israel was a people that was going to be wiped off the list of surviving people. This is what it was within Egypt. In Egypt, all the Jewish people were trapped. They were trapped, far worse than the Nazis. We all talk about the Holocaust. The Holocaust was not all the Jewish people. But in Egypt, it was all the Jewish people. They were all trapped there in a fatal grip of the Egyptians. And in Egypt, all of the Jews, there was not one Jew who was outside of Egypt and outside of this grip. And within Egypt at that time, the Jews were being systematically exterminated through a crushing workload and a killing of the Jewish babies. Now, you take one step back and you look at that kind of situation, you say, that's hopeless. This steady destruction of the Jewish people, pretty soon there would be no Jewish people and that's what the Egyptians wanted. So the physical situation of the Jewish people at that time looked like the situation of a person in his life apart from God. Hopeless, a hope, slow destruction, eventually to be cast into hell. And that was the experience of the Jewish people that God intended to reach the world with the hope of rescue and with the eternal life through God. But at that point in their history, it all looked bleak. And that situation of hopelessness in Egypt is something that God wanted Israel to never forget. That's why the Passover is arguably the most important holiday among the Jewish holidays. And so he starts off, before he tells them that they're a kingdom of priests, he says in, in, in Exodus 19.4, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings to bring you unto myself. So this is the message that God wants to tell Israel. When you were in Egypt, I swooped down like an eagle, you got on my wings and I took you out. I carried you out. You were about to be destroyed, I saved you, I brought you out as a rescued people, and now you are not to live your life without me. You're not to say, well, I'm glad you did that for me by God. And that's not because God told Israel, I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself, unto myself. In essence, what God was saying to Israel is that now you have a new life. Your new life is that you are not to live your life as you were before when you were in Egypt. You're gonna have a new life now, and this new life is going to be characterized by two words, unto myself, unto myself. So here on out, you're gonna be a people that's gonna be close to God, it's close to God. Just like us, when it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that which died for them and rose again. It's a new life. Our lives are now, it's like with Israel, was their life was to be an expression of God on the earth. Our lives to be an expression of God, which is why it says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. What's that mean? It means that when we live, we are to be an expression of Christ through our various personalities. That's what it means. And then it goes on to say, and to die is gain. Now, that's not necessarily referring to the time when we die and have a funeral for us, but the process of dying to self is a good thing. That's a benefit, that's gain. And when we center ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we see that everything we need is in him. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.